So we're in Acts chapter 8, and here's what's going to happen. Next week, I'm hitting pause on Acts, and then we're going to return to it in uh, January. And basically what I'm going to do is a sermon series to end the year and to begin the new year. It's going to be called Only God, and we're going to talk about attributes that only God has. So basically we're going to take a little pause, and we're going to focus for five weeks on things, uh, attributes that only God has. Then we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9 in the new year. So we left off last week with Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria, remember, to Simon the magician and to other Samaritans. Peter and John came to check out the scene to validate that these people, in fact, did believe in Christ and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John headed back to Jerusalem. And from today's passage, what we're going to learn is from the example of Philip and the example of Philip is that he, ha he does personal evangelism. So what is personal evangelism? Well, simply put, personal evangelism is personally sharing your faith with others in everyday situations. So basically, you go to work, school, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, you're going to interact with people. So you'll personally talk to them about your faith. What I'm doing right now is preaching. It's not personal evangelism, but you have the opportunity around the non-believers that you find yourself to personally talk to them about the Lord. So that's what we're going to see with Philip. So we're going to start off in Acts 8, verses 26, and we're going to finish off the chapter today. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. So again, like we've been seeing in Acts, it's a special apostolic time in the church, which they were living out the New Testament. So we're going to continue to see miraculous things happening. One of which, an angel communicates to Philip and says, Hey, here's where you're going to go next. So then it says, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. So this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, was a court official. Based on the fact this man was a convert to Judaism, he was going to worship. Deuteronomy 23.1 uh, there are strict laws for Jewish men, so it's unlikely this guy was a eunuch in the literal sense, but he was a high-ranking official in charge of the treasury of Queen Candace of Ethiopia. So now what happens is this. And returning, seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So he's returning from worship. He's on his way home in his chariot, and he more than likely received a copy of either the entire Great Isaiah Scroll or portions of it. I tend to believe it's probably portions of it, but at any rate, he was probably so excited to have Scripture in his hands that he was reading it on his journey home. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So now we have the Spirit, which we believe that it's probably the Holy Spirit speaking audibly to Philip, telling him, go over and join the chariot. Again, special apostolic time, audible messages from God here. They're living out the New Testament. So we see Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? 
Now, Philip catches up, right? Catches up to the chariot, and here's the Ethiopian official reading from Isaiah and asks him if he understands what he's reading. So now, customary at that time for a, a person that was reading the scriptures, they'd read it out loud. So Philip heard him reading this scripture out loud. At this point, I'm sure Philip is realizing this is going to be a really good opportunity here. He's hearing what the scriptures are, and we're going to find out what those scriptures are in a few, in a few minutes. But basically, Philip's probably already got his wheels turning. Like, this is going to be pretty amazing. I'm going to be able to use this scripture to tell this guy about how much God loves him. So then it says this. And the Ethiopian said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, this is important. When Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? Then the Ethiopian, his answer, I love this answer. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I understand unless someone guides me? So before I move on, I want to point out that the Ethiopian official was a humble man. He was a humble man, and this is an important trait, and I don't want to overlook it because humility is huge when it comes to a few things, when it comes to our salvation and when it comes to our spiritual lives. You know what? Many people are filled with pride. Maybe some of you are filled with pride, and that pride can actually stand in the way of a few things. That pride can actually stand in the way of someone trusting in Jesus or you trusting in Jesus. Some people may think, like, I'm not a sinful person. I don't need a Savior. Some may think, you know what? There's no God, and the things of this world can explain all the things that we see, like people, you know, procreation, all these different things. The, the things of the world can, can explain this. Like, I, I don't need God. Some may think, you know what? People that have faith are simple-minded. Have you ever run into anybody like that? Maybe if you've like pursued higher education, you might have run into some people like that that are like, oh, people that have faith, they're just simple-minded. They run into things that they can't explain, and then they just say, it's God, okay? It's God's fault, okay? Or God did this. So basically what happens is, is pride can sometimes stand in the way of people trusting in God, but then even sometimes for us as Christians, Pride can stand in the way of us spiritually growing. Like, I'm all good. I don't need any help. I don't need anybody to teach me. Now, this Ethiopian official, he was humble. He was humble, and he said, I need help understanding this. Remember, he, he was a man who was he converted to Judaism, so he was on his way back from worshiping. He made the trek to go worship, and he was saying, I need help. I need help to understand this. What we have to realize is this, we all need help and we can never be too proud to ask because if we are, we may never get the answers that we need or we may miss opportunities to actually learn. Another valid point here is when it comes to a pers personal evangelism, which we're going to look at a little bit more, is that if a person that you're talking to about your faith and about the Lord is filled with pride, they might start to argue with you. And let me just tell you, I'm going to give you permission. That's a good time to stop the conversation. Okay, so if you're talking to someone about your faith and it escalates and turns into an argument, you might want to just back off and just say, you know what? This really isn't going anywhere right now. Let's just take a break. I don't want to argue with you. I want to tell you about the love of Christ. 
I'd rather not argue about this stuff. If you're not ready to hear what I have to say, maybe now is not the time that we should be talking about this. So let's look at the passage. So now the passage of scripture that he was reading, the Ethiopian was reading, was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, this is directly from Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. So basically, this Ethiopian eunuch was reading the passage of Isaiah, and he was basically seeing this. So here's what happens. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Now, Philip here is probably like, all right, okay, game on. Like, I have this perfect opportunity to walk right through and tell this man about Jesus. I mean, pretty much the Ethiopian official was almost saying, Philip, can you tell me about Jesus right now? Because that's what he says. Who is this about? Is it about the prophet or is it about someone else. So then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. So what this passage is telling us is Philip now started with the passage in Isaiah and he used this as a springboard to tell this man about Jesus. Now in the passage, like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before a chair was silent, he opens not his mouth. It's a picture of Christ, right? When Christ was being crucified, he didn't say anything. He just quietly went to the cross. He knew that this is what he had to do for salvation of all of us. Justice, in his humiliation, justice was denied. Remember, they came and arrested him in the dark of night. They unjustly tried him. So basically, I'm sure the conversation kind of started here. But there was so much more, okay? There was so much more to that conversation that's not recorded. And the reason why I believe that, you'll see in a little bit. But a few weeks ago, do you remember we learned about Stephen? He was the first Christian martyr. And one of the things that we found out about him was he really knew scripture. Do you remember I kind of did like a, a quick outline of those 50 verses? I didn't go through all 50 verses, but the 50 verses were kind of recounting the history of God's people and talking about like Abraham, Moses and stuff. And he was before the council and he was like, hey, listen, guys, I know my Old Testament history. Okay. I know these scriptures. I know what I'm talking about here. And, you know, I encourage you. I said, you know, you need to know the scriptures. You need to know the scriptures. Well, here, here we see Philip. He's an example of something we're going to call personal evangelism. Most, if not all of you, will have opportunities to personally evangelize people. Opportunities with family, with friends, with coworkers, with anyone who crosses your path. You'll have opportunities. And you could either take those opportunities or shrink back and sometimes blow those opportunities by not opening your mouth. So the question is, is how do we really engage with this? Because for some of you, this is like anxiety producing. I got to tell people about Jesus. That's your job. I'll just bring them to church. Okay. But the truth is they might never show up here. Right. So you might have opportunities with that person 
And they might never darken the door. Like, church is actually a scary place for some people, okay? And they're afraid to come. They're actually afraid to walk through these doors because they don't know, like, are they going to try to recruit me for something? Are they going to be too nice? Are they going to be too mean? Okay, there's like this level, right? So, and you probably felt that when you first came in. You're like, okay. And I love when people say this to me, and people say this to me all the time. They're like, when I walked into the church, I felt like I was home. I was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love hearing that because it's just the vibe. And like, can we argue with a vibe? No, you just get a vibe, right? You just get a vibe, and that's the way it is. So here's the first lesson in uh, personal evangelism. We have to follow God's leading. Now, Philip, I mean, he had like an amazing opportunity to have an angel show up and the Holy Spirit and audibly tell him. We don't normally get stuff like that. I would probably say that you probably will not get that. That was like an apostolic time. But here's the thing. You have social opportunities. In those opportunities, you need to be praying for the people that you are around. Work, school, friendships. You're around people all the time, right? You're around people all the time. You need to be praying for those people that they have an open heart and an open mind to what you have to say if the subject of faith comes up. You need to pray that the subject of faith actually comes up. You need to follow God's lead. Sometimes you're invited to things, you go to things, and you're like, eh. you ever get invited to something? You're like, I don't really want to do this. And you go, and you're like, man, I met this person, or I had an opportunity. I had, you know, step out. God's giving you this opportunity. You know what? In this post-pandemic world we live in, many people have become homebodies. Have you seen this? They become homebodies. I don't like to leave my house or do anything, right? I can go to, I, I, I don't have to go in the office, so why should I? Maybe I just won't ever go in the office again. They're fine with it. But maybe you should actually go in from time to time so you can actually connect with people. I'd rather not go shopping. I'd rather just have it delivered. I'd rather not be involved in social events. Or the, the newest one is like, I can worship at home. I don't even need to be around other people, right? Well, well here's the thing. The list can go on and on, but people have become homebodies and they, they basically, their mindset is like, I'm not going to go out in culture. Now, we're going way back here, but when I was a kid, we had a name for people that spent the day in their pajamas and never left their house. Did you have the same name? Okay, we did too. Um, I won't say it out loud, but in our culture now, people are like, I'm living the dream, right? I could stay home and be in my pajamas all day and never go see people. But the truth is, if you never go see people, you will miss opportunities. And let me just tell you this. I think it's part of Satan's way to keep people away from each other. Here's the thing. Remember when God created? He created Adam, right? And then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. He was not just talking about the first marriage. He was actually talking about how we are created to be social people. And you know what? If that pandemic taught us anything, right after the first two weeks, they were like, stay home, stay home. And then you went out to get groceries or something and everybody was out. You're like, nobody's going to stay home, right? Nobody's going to stay home because they need to be with other people. And the people that actually just stayed put and never saw anybody, guess what? They're mentally paying for it now because we need to be around people. So let me just tell you this. As a Christian, when you're invited places, when you're 
called on to do things and be involved in community, in church, in social gatherings, take the opportunity because you never know why God has you in that opportunity or who you're going to meet or who you're going to talk to about the Lord. Now, this is between you and God, and I'm not sure where God is leading you, to, but I know he's not leading you to live a life of isolation. So follow God's lead. Follow his lead. The next thing is this. Know how to use the scriptures to tell others about Jesus. Do you know where to go in the scriptures to point people to the gospel message? Do you know where to go in the scriptures to point people to the gospel message? Or in other words, can you back up what you believe? You go to work, you go to school, you go somewhere and, and somebody's asking you about your faith and you're like, Jesus died on the cross, this, this, and that. Oh, where do you find that? Well, Pastor Mike told me, okay? It doesn't fly, okay? I'm a nobody, right? So here's the thing. You need to know where in the scriptures to go to back up what you believe. So I hope you take that seriously because it's important because I can tell you this. If you say, I believe this, or this is why I believe this, you have to go somewhere to back it up. So I'm going to give you some basic, if you want to take a picture of this, jot it down or anything, I'm going to give you some basic scriptures on how to back up the gospel message. So the first is this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You might be talking to somebody about the Lord and you just say, you know what, you're a sinner. You know, and, and you know, maybe you're not going to say exactly like that, but you know, you talk about this. We, we all sin. We all do things wrong. And they're like, no, I don't. I'm not a sinner. And then you're like, well, the Bible says for all, okay? Who's included in that? All, right? All are sinners. And we fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now it tells us the wage of sin is death. Hey, this is talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God. The wage of sin is death. But here's the truth. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Like Jesus is willing to give you this free gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 helps us because it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is like the silver bullet, isn't it? Okay, because here's the thing. If you went, if you said like, okay, I'm going to get myself a clipboard and I'm going to go outside of Walmart or any other place and I'm going to, I'm doing a statistical project and asking people, how do you believe that you are going to heaven? I can guarantee I would put money, I'm not a betting person, but I would put money on the fact that a lot of people, a large percent would be like, be a good person, right? How are you going to get to heaven? Be a good person. Well, how good do you have to be? Well, I guess as good as me, <laughs> um, you know, like they don't know where's the line. How good do you have to be to get in? How bad do you have to be to get ejected, right? So the truth is, the scriptures tell us it's not a result of works. It's not a result of works. This is going to be a helpful one for you when you're talking to that person that believes I could work my way into heaven. Let me just tell you, it's not a result of works. And here's one of the reasons. So you can't boast. So you can't be filled with pride. Okay, so that gift is open to every person, whether they're a murderer on death row or a person that stole a dime in second grade, they all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. 
And it's not a result of works. Whereas by grace, you've been saved through faith. Faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. You can throw in these, uh, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he will live. Talking about physical death, spiritual death, but Jesus talking about resurrection. When I preach the gospel, and you guys hear me preach the gospel every single week, what do I usually say about the resurrection? The resurrection, Jesus rose from the grave to what? Prove that he is God. Okay, study other world religions. Dead guys in tombs, okay? Dead guys in tombs. We have a risen Savior. I am the, Jesus said that about himself. I am the resurrection of life. You're going to die, right? Though he dies, yet he shall live. That's us. Though we die, we will live. And you know what? Us in our mindset and our physical and our, our mindset, we look at physical death as the, the worst, the most terrible thing, right? We're afraid to die. We're afraid of the pain and death. We're afraid to lose people and stuff. Guess what? When we die, we're free. Okay, we're freed from this sinful world. We're freed. I remember a long, long time ago hearing uh, our, one of our pastors, Robert Oliver, he shared an illustration about a guy who went to prison and was in prison for all his life. And then when he came up to parole, they said, do you want to leave or you're parole? And he's like, I'm scared. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. And everybody's like, dude, you know what it's like out there? Way better than jail. Okay, well, I'm afraid this is all I know. That's us when we look at death. We're afraid because we don't know, right? We don't know. We're looking and saying, I don't know what heaven's like. I'm kind of afraid to leave. I can guarantee when you physically die, the first thing you're going to look at and say, man, glad I'm here, okay? I'm so much better off here in glory with my Savior. And then finally, you could throw in John 3, 16, one of the most famous verses for evangelism. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, these are just some basic verses to back up your faith. You know, if somebody's asking you, I know for me personally, when I talk to somebody and I tell them about my faith or about anything else, I want backup, okay? I want to know what I'm talking about. So these verses are a starting point. I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to take a step further than just knowing these verses, learn others as well. Also, I think a really effective thing is to find out the interests and beliefs of the people around you. So you come to the table when you're talking to them, kind of knowing about what they believe knowing about what their philosophy in life is. So looking up specific verses, for example, things like politics, cultural belief systems. Here, here's the thing. Later on in Acts, Acts 17, I, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Acts 17, where Paul is addressing the Areopagus, and basically he uses these cultural things around to, as a springboard to tell people about Jesus. Okay? It's important. If you want to be an effective witness in, in personal evangelism, knowing the people that you talk to, that's why we as Christians never want to just huddle up together. Okay, world bad, we good. Okay, we're over here and we huddle up together and we don't know anything about them. And, you know, like that's, that's what people do, right? What Christians do, they huddle up. But we're supposed to be lights to the world. We're supposed to be the salt to this earth. We're supposed to be out in the community doing things and rubbing shoulders with people that don't know about Jesus because guess what? 
How will they know? How will they know? So when you know what you believe and how to back it up, you can investigate and you could, you could find out what others believe. You can know that what you trust in is true and help them to understand the error of their ways. So evidently, the Ethiopian official understood the message because here's what happened next. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he goes on and, and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Obviously, at this point, we realize there was much more to the conversation, right? There was much more. They got to baptism and stuff. And again, we learned in past weeks, baptism is an outward identification of what inwardly has happened. I've trusted in Jesus as my Savior, so I moved from death to life. The water represents death. Being pulled out of the water represents new life. Back in that day, even more than today, it was such an identification because the civilizations were around these bodies of water. So people would all walk down and be like, okay, oh boy, that one's a Christian now. That one's a Christian now. That one's, look at this. Like all these people were standing up for their faith. So this Ethiopian eunuch, he was so happy. He was so happy. He probably saw a little pond of water and was like, hey, let's do it. Let's do this. Let's do this. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. So here again, another miraculous event in which Philip's carried off by the Holy Spirit. Two things happened. The Ethiopian didn't see him anymore. Okay, this guy's gone now. Philip's gone now. And the second is the Ethiopian's response is joy, is joy. When someone truly trusts in Jesus, they experience joy. And the reason is because our sins are forgiven. Maybe you remember that first time when you trusted in Jesus, you were like, man, I feel like a weight has been lifted off me. Well, that's the joy that only God's Holy Spirit can give us. But through this account, we have to ask this. Why did God have Philip take this miraculous leap? Okay, it's kind of like quantum leap, right? He's here and he's like, go do this. Go find this chariot. Go talk to that guy. And then as soon as you're done, you're gone, okay? You're out of here. You're going to go somewhere else. I don't know all the answers to this, but I know the one answer is pretty clear. It spread the gospel because now the message is traveling south with a man who has a prominent position. And inevitably, this man in his joy, because he went away rejoicing, when he got back, right, to Queen Candace, what's that smile on your face for? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you asked, okay? So now he's preaching the gospel to Queen Candace in Ethiopia, and guess what's going to happen? It's the, the message is going to spread. So let's see what happened to Philip. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Continue with the mission. He went north, okay? Continue with the mission of preaching the gospel, and now he's going north. Do you realize that we're all called to bring the gospel no matter where we go? That's how it spread, okay? From Jerusalem, remember the, the commission? Jerusalem, 
Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do you know who's a product of the ends of the earth? Us, okay? Went north, south, east, west, global now, okay? And guess what? It doesn't stop. We keep carrying that message. That's why people want to stop us from bringing the message, because this is a message that brings life. It's a message that brings life. And guess what? All of us, every single one of us that believe in Jesus, we're all called to bring that message to our little circle that we impact at school, at work, in family relationships, neighborhoods, friends, whatever. We're all called to do that. So this morning, we're going to observe communion. And importantly with communion, the first thing about communion is it's a time of remembrance. It's time, so everyone who believes in Christ, it's a time for us to remember who Jesus is and what he has done for us. This is for believers. If you're not a believer, don't partake in communion because you're not remembering what Jesus did because you don't even believe it. But the truth is, as a believer, we constantly want to remember Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. Jesus' blood was shed to pay the price for our sins. I want to come here and remember that. That's why we preach the gospel every single week. Jesus did this for us, and we want to remember that. The second thing is for us to evaluate our own lives. Maybe you're going the wrong way in some area of life. Whatever that area is, maybe it's laziness, maybe it's, maybe it's an outburst of anger. I don't know. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever sin seems to kind of tangle you up and you're struggling with, communion is a great time for you to evaluate your own life and throw that sin at the foot of the cross. Ask the Lord for help. I'll just tell you this, and, and, and I think it will help you, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again probably a more, million more times in my life. You can't do it on your own, okay? You can't do it on your own. I know somebody told you you're special and you can do everything on your own. You can't do it on your own. You need the help of Jesus, okay? You and I need the help of Jesus, and you can't do it on your own if you think that you can conquer sin on your own, you're actually filled with pride. You got to let that pride down and let Jesus help you. And let me tell you, that's the best thing you're going to do. That's the, if you're tangled up in something, some habitual sin, just, you know what, Jesus, I can't take this. I can't do this. I need your help. The time to really just get real with the Lord. So I'm going to give you about a minute or so to be quiet and pray to the Lord, and then we'll partake together. On night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is the cup of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Bow with me as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. Thankful for each person that's here. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can remember what you've done for us in our place for our sins. 
I'm thankful, Lord, that we can take our sins and throw them at the foot of your cross, and you'll help us to have victory in those areas that we may struggle with. I'm thankful, Lord, that we all have opportunities to personally evangelize the people around us, Lord, not in a way that's going to win them to something that we think they should be won to, but in a way that they're going to come to faith in you. They're going to come to faith in you, and their eternal life will be secured in you. We love them, and we care for them, and we want that for them. Even the people that we might not get along with, I pray, Lord, that you would just give us opportunities to talk to them about who you are and what you've done. As your scriptures say, love your enemies and pray for them. I just pray that we are the type of people, the type of believers that are on mission doing that. I pray, Lord, especially as we're ramping up into uh, Christmas season and uh, people will be asking questions and we have many opportunities here at the church to point people to you. I pray, Lord, that we're humble and loving and caring. And most importantly, we pray for their souls that they would receive eternal life like we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.